live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. What's Wagner's rule of life number four? Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I understand I might be like a dog with a bone on this, but this is just fundamentally wrong. It is an insult, but let's tee this up. The Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. I'm sorry, I think this is absolutely ridiculous. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. What a great time to be a Wisconsin sports fan. You've got the Bucks advancing to the Eastern Conference Finals, taking care of the Boston Celtics. You know, the... Uh, I remember after they got blown out in that first game, everybody was starting to panic and things like that. I remember we talked about this. And I, I look, I, I follow other sports more closely than I follow the NBA. But the bottom line is the Bucks seem to me to be the better team. I think the better team typically wins in long series. And that certainly proved to be the case. What a great victory. And, you know, the, the cool thing about this is many times, many years with the NBA, you know who effectively that the season is just sort of well it's going to be a coronation you you know who the team that's going to win is i don't think it's the case this year look i don't know if the bucks are going to win the nba championship or not but i will tell you i i think they have as good as chance as anybody i mean are they as good a team as philadelphia sure are they as good a team as toronto sure are they as good a team as golden state yeah um houston yeah i mean i think it's it's wide open that's not a prediction that they necessarily are going to win but but they're deep. They've got a couple superstars. And the bottom line is it's just a fun time to be a Wisconsin sports fan. Everything going on outside Pfizer Forum yesterday was hopping. Just It's just tremendous. And I'm sure the intensity is going to ratchet up as they go even further into the playoffs. At the same time, you've got the Brewers who maybe at least for the time being, they, they've kind of figured it out. Homestand, 8-2. and two. That's really, really good. Now, admittedly, they're playing a couple teams that are down, the New York Mets and the Washington Nationals. That's where their six-game winning streak is coming from. But the truth is, if you're going to make the playoffs, it's a 162-game season, what you have to do is you have to take advantage of playing teams when they are not playing well. And New York's not playing well right now. Washington's not playing well right now. And, you know, the, the Brewers took care of business. They've got a tough road, stand, road uh, trip coming up. They go to Philadelphia. They go to Atlanta. They go to Chicago. But at the same time, all right, they did what they had to do. They won 8 out of 10 on this last homestand. you got to be excited about that. So it's a great time to be a Wisconsin sports fan. We're going to, I think, talk a little bit more about the impact that this is all having in the community in just a little bit. want to start off, though, with a story. And let me not bury the lead here. I think these atheist groups should be ashamed of themselves. And this is a story that makes that point. Now, Monday evening. I am going to have the honor, and I use that word. I, I use that word knowing full well the implications. I have, I have the honor. I'm going to be the master of ceremonies at the 40th annual Armed Forces Day, Armed Forces Week dinner. Next week is Armed Forces Week. This is a big dinner that they have every year. I've been the MC for I don't know the last several years. It's put on by the Navy League of the United States. It's a wonderful event. Hundreds and hundreds of people are going to pack into the uh, Grand Ballroom at the uh, Wisconsin Club downtown. It, it's just it is a wonderful, wonderful event. 
One, it's full of patriotic activities and people who just they, we're going to be honoring a number of active duty service people. It, it's just, again, it, it's, it is my honor to be a part of that. One of the things that is a part of that event, and I will say this without hesitation, I think it might be the most moving thing which will occur at the event on Monday night and has occurred on the past ones. And no matter how many times I see this, I, I never get tired of it. It is what they call the missing man ceremony. And if you have been to, I don't know, a, a military honors type of thing, perhaps you have seen this. It is a ceremony that is designed to honor men missing in action or prisoners of war. And the way it works is there is a table that is set up in the front of of the room. And what happens is you have an honor guard coming forward, um, people from the Army, the Navy, the Marine Corps, the Air Force, the Coast Guard, and and civilian civilians. And the honor ceremony is designed to symbolize people who are, if not here with us in present, you know, they're here with us in spirit. And what happens is the honor guard comes up and they, they put a, a hat at each one of these different place settings. People are standing while this is going on. And then the, the, the moderator comes out and explains what's at the table. They say, here, here's some of it. They say the table is round to show our everlasting concern for missing men. The tablecloth is white, symbolizing the purity of their motives when answering the call to duty. The single red rose displayed in a vase reminds us that the life of each of the missing, their loved ones and friends of these Americans who keep the faith awaiting answers. The vase is tied with a red ribbon, symbol of our continued determination to account for our missing. A slice of lemon on the bread plate is to remind us of the bitter fate of those captured and missing in a foreign land. A pinch of salt symbolizes the tears endured by those missing and the families that seek answers. The glass is inverted to symbolize their inability to share this evening's toast. The chairs are empty. They are missing. And then, as is done sometimes, there is a Bible that is left you know, on, on the table. And they say the Bible represents the strength gained through faith to sustain those lost from our country, founded as one nation under God. All right. So there is a VA, Veterans Affairs, in, in New Hampshire, and in Manchester, New Hampshire. It's a VA medical center. And what they have on display at the VA medical center is they have a table that is dedicated to the the missing man ceremony and on the table it's got all those different items that i just described the pinch of salt the inverted glass the white tablecloth the single rose all those things it also contains a bible the bible that um is displayed on this table is apparently it was a bible that was carried by a, a man in World War II who was a prisoner of war. So this this was the guy's Bible. He kept it with him as a prisoner of war. He brought it back, and now it, it rests as part of this missing man display on this table at the VA Center. All right, so where are we going with this? Well, there has now been a lawsuit filed by the Milwaukee the Milwaukee the Military Religious Freedom Foundation 
that says they're filing this on behalf of a New Hampshire veteran who is appalled and offended that this Bible that was carried by the POW in World War II sits on the table at the VA Center. Um, the, they argue that it violates the Constitution's prohibition against government establishment of religion. The Let's see, this is what they say. The sectarian Christian Bible bolted down to that POW MIA table at the Manchester, New Hampshire veterans thing is a grotesque gang sign of fundamentalist Christian triumphalism, exceptionalism, and supremacy. Indeed, a middle finger of unconstitutional repugnance to the plurality and separation of church and state guaranteed in the U.S. Constitution. This is what the guy who's behind this organization says. As a state actor, the VA cannot elevate one faith over another or no faith. The VA is wretchedly disrespecting millions of American veterans by doing so. The VA has ignominiously made sure that the sectarian Christian Bible sticks out like a tarantula on a wedding cake in the POW MIA display, and they've done so for a reason. It's immoral, unethical, and blatantly illegal under our Constitution. So they make this complaint. Initially, the VA takes away the Bible. After a huge degree of outrage, they've put back the Bible, and essentially you're telling this guy, go pound sand. He's now filed a federal lawsuit. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you offended? Should we be offended that as part of this incredibly moving ceremony and this dedication to POWs and missing men that there is, heaven forbid, a Bible, and in this case, a Bible that was carried through World War II by a military official. 414-799-1620, should the Bible go or should the lawsuit go? 414-799-1620, we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Welcome back. So glad to have you with you. I I admit, stuff like this absolutely infuriates me. Richard in Menominee Falls. Richard, you're first. Yeah, it infuriates me as well. I am a veteran. I see no problem with it. I know there's that some will because they're atheists or they don't believe in God any other way, mm-hmm. but I guarantee you when they're all in trouble and need help, they all will pray to the Lord. Well, well I, I guess, you know, I mean, right, I, I guess I, I look at this and I say, okay, the Bible, just like the, the pinch of salt and the rose and the white tablecloth, they are all symbols of various right. things, and, and so the Bible stands as a, a symbol to those who survive being a prisoner of war or whatever because of their faith. Who could who could object to that? It's not saying that you it's not establishing a religion. It is just a symbol recognizing the importance of faith for some people. Correct. I agree with you a hundred percent on that. Um, I I would be I feel the same way. Uh like I said, I am a veteran. I have nothing to get that. I think it's great. Yeah. No thanks. Uh, right. And, I mean, you know, and this, this gentleman 
used it for his faith while the whole time he was in, as a prisoner of war. Right. Why not show respect to him? Well, exactly. Thanks for calling. And all the other the people, again, it, it it's a symbol. And I guess could they and should they have, if, if they chose, for example, let's say that you had um, somebody who donated a Star of David, for example, that, that they had kept with them during their interment or, or whatever. I wouldn't have any objection to that either. I mean, I, but I don't think I, I don't think the VA has to do that. I mean, I think in this particular case, they thought, oh, this is, you know, you want to talk about something that's moving. I mean, here is this Bible that has the, this story behind it, and this represents the, the faith that was used by this particular soldier to get through his his captivity. I mean, what what could be wrong with that? And what sort of evil, hurtful person would object to this in this particular fashion? And you know, the, the truth of the matter is, I, I understand the whole concept of church and state. My guess is that most people who are either atheists or agnostics, I, I think most people would look at this and say, really? The guy's objecting? They're, they're, they want to file a federal lawsuit over the presence of a Bible as a symbol of faith? i, I got to think that even among the agnostic and the atheist community, this claim makes a lot of people uncomfortable. 414-799-1620. Bill in Oshkosh. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Bill. I'm a veteran, too. And I see absolutely nothing wrong with putting that Bible on that table. Mm-hmm. Uh, during World War II, that's all those soldiers and POWs had to cling to, right. is their faith. That, that was it. Mm-hmm. Right, and so why, right, why, why deny them that recognition? Just because somebody says it, it establishes a religion, it doesn't. It's not the government establishing a religion. It is just saying, look, this is a symbol of people who used faith to get through, you know, this awful circumstance that they found themselves in. And not only that, this country was founded on freedom of faith. Yeah, freedom to. Practice whatever religion they. Yep, absolutely. No, thanks to Colby, you are absolutely you're, you're absolutely right. Now, look, I I, you know, I hope they file this lawsuit. I and they have filed the lawsuit. I hope I hope that you get a ruling just kicking this lawsuit to the curb because that's where it belongs. Do I think you can have legitimate examples of? Are, all right, do you go too far? Are we mandating that kids who are not Christians say Christian prayers? I, I think you can come up with issues like that that have some validity. But objecting to this particular display and objecting to a Bible being on a missing man table, to me, again, it's it's just, it's almost evil that somebody would be this type of offended by this. And if you legitimately are this type of offended, I, I'm telling you, you desperately, 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 Desperately need to get a life. Eddie and Franklin. Eddie, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. The show. Thank you, sir. Uh, I'm, I'm actually offended by this guy filing this thing. I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. When you're when you're in a court of law, they swear you in. They use the Bible. So, you know, mm-hmm. the whole separation of church and state, that's really kind of a, a fine line. And, and I agree with you. Yeah, you know, if you're forcing people to make prayers or whatever. Well, what if there was a Koran on that table, and this guy filed a little suit about uh, about the Koran? Can you imagine how many people's heads would be exploding? <laughs> yeah, exactly. and, oh, this is this right. is Muslim hate. This is right. when, it, when it's against Christians. 
Yep. There seems to be this concerted effort to just kind of wipe Christianity and, and, and the Catholic religion, just kind of wipe it out of existence. Yeah. Well, and, and, like, well, yeah, and Eddie, just let me, to, to your point. Our culture. Uh, to, I mean, thanks for calling, Eddie. And, and to your point, oh, Jeff, you're just saying this because it's a Bible. Well, in this particular case, I mean, the Bible is a symbol of, of faith. And in this case, the Bible has some very significant historical significance because of, of where it comes from and the fact that you had the guy who was the POW that had it. But as I said a minute ago, if it was a Star of David, or to your example, if this was a Koran that, again, they chose to use as that symbol of faith, um, and it had that equally compelling story, I wouldn't have an, an issue with that. You should be able to recognize and represent as part of this that there are a number of people for whom faith was a big part of surviving their captivity. And this idea that we have to pretend it doesn't exist, that that is worrisome in the extreme. And going to the larger point, who files a lawsuit like this? I mean, seriously, who is so petty, so evil, so obsessed with, oh, we, we can't have any reference to religion, that you would go after this vet, this VA for, again, the, the missing man table. And if you've ever had an opportunity to see this ceremony, you know exactly what I am talking about, and, and you understand just how moving it is. And this guy wants to say, oh, we can't have uh, any displays of faith. Oh, give me a break. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I know I infuriate many of you with my approach to President Trump in that I, I neither think that he is incapable of making mistakes, nor do I think he is the Antichrist. And I understand that there, there's people on both sides. I, I try to look at this and say, well, there, there's some stuff he does that I, I think is absolutely spot on. And there's other stuff he does that I think, my gosh, where did this guy come from? And and that's it is a much more nuanced, nuanced approach. And I understand nuance when dealing with Donald Trump isn't something that too many people um, applaud. But that's the way I see it. Now, having said that, having said that, I repeat something I've been re- saying constantly for the last two years. I wish that I don't know if he uses a cell phone to tweet or if he uses a laptop or a tablet or whatever. But I wish they would take that away from him. I have been watching the stock market all week, and the Dow Jones Industrials right now is down about 185 points. That's after a several hundred point decline two days ago and a several hundred point decline you know, um, earlier uh, earlier in the week. The stock market all in, all down, what, five, six, seven hundred points this week. That's the Dow, the NASDAQ down even a higher percentage. The stock market today at one point in time, it was down close to 450 points. Now it's down 184. Why is the market why is the market tanking this week? Well, is it because there's bad economic news? No, to the contrary. Most of the economic news is good. It's because on Sunday afternoon, President Trump decided to take to Twitter and send out a, a tweet saying that he's looking at or considering doubling the tariffs uh, on China unilaterally doing that on Friday. And it's completely and totally freaked out. I mean, again, starting another trade war with China, it's freaked out global markets. It's freaked out U.S. markets. You have a trillion dollars that's just kind of disappeared in in income because people have gotten in, in earnings, because people have gotten nervous about, you know, this. To, and the question is, to, to what end? Now, I understand there are legitimate issues when it comes to trade with China. In particular, you know, you, you have 
you, you have China that has been stealing intellectual property from the U.S. You know, blatantly for years and years and years. U.S. develops some technology; they they patent it, etc. China steals it and, and then you know starts selling it themselves. Th- these are very valid concerns. The trade deficit is a valid concern, and clearly, I think it needs to be dealt with in the context of agreements. But for President Trump to send out like a 15-word tweet, hey, I'm, I'm going to double the tariffs, what you see is it throws the global markets and the U.S. market into a complete and total panic. Some people think it's part of an all-time, you know, big-picture sort of strategy. I don't think so. I think it's just kind of the president venting and, and nobody taking this away. Now, again, like I say, I, I think you know, there's very real trade issues that you have to deal with with China. But – but the way you do it is not by taking to Twitter. And I don't care if you're a conservative or liberal or Republican or Democrat. It's just not the way you go about doing things. And, I mean, the, the lesson is when you just take to Twitter and you get a wild hair up a certain part of your anatomy and you send this stuff out, look what happens. You throw all the markets into turmoil. And that's something that all of us should care about if we've got retirement accounts or anything of the like. So stock market down 167 points. If you're wondering why that is, it's not a particular economic condition or bad economic news. It's just the the latest fallout from the president's gratuitous tweet a couple days ago. All right. Let us let us switch gears. The story today is the problems financially that the Milwaukee County transit system, the bus system, is having. They're saying that they are anticipating a $6.4 million budget gap between this year and next year. And they're saying as a result of that, they might have a 10% cut in service, which is going to dramatically you know, affect people who depend on the bus to get around. You know, and the truth of the matter is that this, the the bus company has been hemorrhaging money for, you know, quite a while. You've got revenue from ridership that has been down. They've been running on different federal grants and stuff to continue trying to replace their aging fleet. You've got almost open warfare between the bus drivers union and the, the transit system. Bus drivers union says, hey, you know, we, we want all this extra stuff. You know, we've given up things over the years, but The bus company is saying the problem is we don't have any money to give you this stuff. And the result of it now is it looks like they might be talking about a 10% cut. All right. In part, in part, this is, I believe, because of decisions that were made a decade ago involving Tom's Trolley Folly. I want to share with you the history of this for people who might have forgotten. And then we're going to talk about whether or not we would have been better off putting tens of millions of dollars into the buses or into the streetcar. Stick around. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I firmly believe that if you are going to, I don't know, if you're going to be smart in the future, you need to understand the past. Now, the story this week is the bus company, the local bus company, is saying we, we're, we're running this huge deficit at $6.4 million. We pretty much cut everything we have to cut. Um, we're, we're facing these negotiations with the union. They want all sorts of extra money and extra benefits, and we don't we don't have the money to give them that. We've got this aging fleet, et cetera, et cetera. We're looking at probably having to cut 10% service, and that, that's just this year alone. 
All right. I believe that part of this problem the bus company faces, it faces, you know, it, it has its roots in a decision that was made 10 years ago. And that is when collectively the community made the decision as to what to do with this federal highway money that was to be appropriated and given to our area to be spent. Let me see. This is this is some of the research I was doing. Let me share with you a story, just the first part of it, that appeared on March 13th, 2009, 10 years ago in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Let me just read you the first couple paragraphs. U.S. spending bill funds Milwaukee's streetcar system, ending a 17-year-long dispute. Congress has thrown its support behind a modern streetcar system in downtown Milwaukee, with local officials deadlocked over how to spend $91.5 million in long-idle federal transportation aid. Senator Herb Cole... And Representative David Obey, he was the powerful congressman, was on the Ways and Means Committee. Um, he's not in Congress anymore. Sean Duffy represents that area. Senator Herb Cole and Representative David Obey quietly inserted a provision in the massive federal omnibus spending bill to hand 60% of the money to the city for a downtown rail line and 40% to Milwaukee County for buses. President Barack Obama signed the $410 billion package into law Wednesday. That's a victory. Now, this is the Journal Sentinel story from 10 years ago. That's a victory for Milwaukee Mayor Tom Barrett, who has championed a downtown streetcar loop and a defeat for County Executive Scott Walker. County Executive Scott Walker, this is before he became governor, who had fought the concept and wanted all the money to go to buses. Cole and Obie, both Wisconsin Democrats, acted at the urging of Barrett, their former congressional colleague. So for those of you who, who might have either forgotten or not been around here, there was this huge pot of federal mass transit money that was sitting around. And there couldn't there was like no agreement at all as to how you would spend it. Walker, who at the time was the conservative uh, in the Milwaukee County executive is a nonpartisan spot, but he, everybody knew he was Republican. Walker wanted the money to go to buses. Barrett wanted the money to go to the trolley. Herb Cole was the senator. Uh, Russ Feingold was the other senator. Dave Obie was the guy in Congress, big-time Democrat. Barack Obama was the president. So you had Walker and Barrett fighting for the dough, and Barrett ended up winning. Herb Cole sided with Barrett. Dave Obie sided with Barrett. And so you had this legislation that was put into effect, and instead of the bus company getting tens of millions of dollars in additional revenue, 60-some million or whatever the number came out to be, it went to the, the trolley. All right, so flash forward 10 years later, the trolley line has now been built, and they want to expand it, and, and the bus company says, okay, we're, we're not making enough money here. We're going to have to cut services for and lines and things like that for the whole county. So let us tee this up, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, look, th- this money's already been spent. There, there's nothing you can do about it. But this was a decision that was made finally in March of 2009. It was a power struggle between Milwaukee Mayor Tom Barrett, Democrat, and at that time, County Executive Scott Walker, a Republican, Barrett ended up winning 
fine. So now, 10 years later, you, you've got the 2.1-mile trolley line. You know, that's built. But you've got a bus company that is hemorrhaging resources. 414-799-1620. Would we have been better off putting that money into buses a decade ago as opposed to putting it into the trolley line? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I think it's interesting to kind of look back because maybe that informs what makes the most sense moving forward. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, the truth of the matter is that the, the bus company has been getting by on other federal subsidies for the, the better part of the last decade, various grants, etc. That stuff is starting to dry up. But, all right, would you have rather seen the trolley line or would you have rather seen the bus company get tens of millions of dollars extra? 414-799-1620. We'll discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Eric Bilstadt. There's a, a famous story they tell about Winston Churchill. You know, during World War II, Winston Churchill was famous for the V for Victory okay. sign, you know, which is it, it became the peace symbol in, in the 60s and stuff. But the, the V for Victory sign, it was like victory in World War II. You, you take your 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 middle finger and your forefinger and your, your index finger and you kind of you hold them up in, mm-hmm. in the V sign. Sure. Now, the... the 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 proper way you do this is you when you're making the V sign you you extend your palm so people, like I'm I'm doing it to you now my my palm is facing okay. towards you okay. okay apparently the story about Churchill was the first time he did this you know he did it to the, the cameras and he did it with the back of his hand he made the V sign and he held it up like that okay well apparently the, the story go and it was all over the papers and stuff a, a story goes in in great britain when you do that when again not the palm facing you but the back of your hand facing you that essentially means up your bucket. <laughs> oh, man. So that, the Oops. first the first time you know, Churchill did that, you know, and and it well, was, maybe that's what he meant. Well, no, no, he hey, didn't. Hitler. No, he would. He would. Well, I mean, the story goes that one of his aides said, you know, apparently that was a a working class <laughs> gesture, and Winston Churchill was nothing. He was not a working class guy, and mm. they said, you know, what that means? It kind of means, you know, this. And he go, oh my gosh! And so then the, it's, it's okay if you do it when you're extending the palm, you know, yeah, when the yeah. palm out. That's it. So that that became the V is in, in victory thing. Again, more more like interesting news that you can use in the show. That's All right. Good. Good. Now, I, I, bring, I bring this up because there was a controversy two nights ago at, at Wrigley Field. Now, I, I know, have, have you done much TV reporting? Very, very little, okay. hardly. I, you know, you know, a, a few years ago, I, I used to do some stuff for Channel yep, Four, yep. and they, they'd have you, they'd have you like on remotes and stuff occasionally. And and one of the things that you, I always hate, is the fact that people see a television camera 
and they decide to act like complete and total jack wagons. You know, I mean, it, it's like you know, you, there's. I always sympathetic. You got the reporter that's there. They're standing there, and they're they're trying to talk into this thing. And there's somebody behind you, you know, making funny faces or or gestures or whatever. I just, I, I I've always hated that. And you know, it's and you because if you're there with the microphone, you're 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 concentrating. You're, you're working, all, yeah. right? You're talking into a camera. You don't see what's going on behind you. So if you're just talking into to a camera, you don't see anything else, and you're trying to concentrate on, on this, and you have this activity. But I understand it's TV cameras, and you've got these people that kind of act up behind you and doing the funny faces or the odd things like that. So I'm always sympathetic. Well, the other night, Wrigley Field, there's a, a guy who's doing a, a stand-up for NBC Sports Chicago, and he, he's in the... He's in the the well next to the dugout where, like in Milwaukee, Sophia Minard sits, yep, yep. and he's he happens to be an African American reporter, and and he's he's talking, and they have a, a fan who's sitting like in the first or second row behind him, and the guy is, is making first of all he makes the V gesture, and I, I don't honestly know if he did it backhanded or or palms forward. I don't know, but but then he makes this upside down okay gesture where you take your thumb and your um your index finger and you make it a circle and then you extend your other three fingers okay and it's it's upside down mm-hmm. um and then of course the minute they they do this uh the local tv station is this besieged with all sorts of of tweets and protests saying do you realize that 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 upside down okay symbol is is a white supremacist sign right now, I, I have to tell you, and I, I I don't deny that maybe that's what the guy was doing. The Cubs have now tracked down who this guy is, and apparently he's been banned permanently from Wrigley Field. But I, I guess maybe I need to get out more. I didn't realize that that's what that symbol was. It, to me, it was just kind of like an upside-down okay sign. You know, there's a way back in the day, it was a like a goofy thing where you did that, and then if someone looked at it, you punched him in the shoulder. Type okay, of right. It was a game. Right. Um, but I picked up on it earlier. It was either this year or last year, I realized, just from, it must have been what happened back on the coast there when they had the Charlottesville stuff, or I don't know if it was from Baraboo. I know Baraboo, one of the kids, was doing that when that picture came out. But some, somewhere along the recent line, I picked up on it being a white well, supremacist. So I, I got intrigued by this because I'm like, okay, when, and, and I'm not denying it, it was, and I'm not denying what the guy's right, intent sure, was. It sure. was just like, when I saw that, that's not what I thought of. Again, maybe I just need to get out more. They, they say the Southern Poverty Law Center says the gesture, um, it, it dates back to like 2015. So okay. only the last couple years okay. um, as that. And then they say in 2017, it began to be used to try to trigger liberals by making them believe the hand gesture was associated with racism, despite the fact that the sign could easily be mistaken to mean that everything is OK. But so it, it's kind of taken it, it in its own life. And and I and I think we were talking off the air. Gru, did you know that, that did you know that that sign was a sign of racism? Yep, I did. You did. Okay, how long have you known that? Uh, pretty much same thing as Eric. Okay, Hill's for the guy. last couple of years. And I, I, and again, I, I'm not denying it is. I'm just, I'm wondering if the majority of people who saw it would have understood. Now, clearly, some people did because mm-hmm. you know, and and the, the Cubs have responded. And I'm, I'm not defending the guy who who did it or what his intent was. I just, I guess, when I first saw it, I didn't realize that that was what. It was. You think you would have recognized that? Oh, had I seen it on TV live? Oh, yeah. I would have said that. I I would have thought that's what that guy was doing. 
like you, though, I have no idea what he was doing, but that's the first thing that I would have thought of, only because it's been in the news or it's been on the social media track. It's kind of been out there, if hmm. you will. See, I, I just, I, I've, I've got to catch up with this stuff. I mean, I, I understand what certain gestures mean <laughs> when you're like doing them on TV and stuff. I, I, just one segment quick. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, again, I, I'm not defending this guy that did it. And it, it, clearly, if that was his intent, he deserves to be banned from Wrigley Field for life. And, and you know, it's like, why would you do that? I guess, is this now that generally recognized symbol? And when you see somebody that makes that, you know, if, if you hold it up, it, it just kind of like the example I was giving earlier with the V sign. If you, if you make that gesture and you hold it up, I, I don't think there's that, that's not the attachment. That's kind of like the okay symbol. It's just when you do it downward, it's supposed to have the connotations that it have. At least that's the way I understand it. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this, in fact, has this now become this universally recognized symbol of, of hate? And I bring this up because if there are people who are doing this inadvertently, do you need to knock it off? And it's it's not a, it's not a gesture I would make I don't think it's a gesture I ever made. You know that, that it's one way or the other. And but I certainly wouldn't want to be having that connotation. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Is this now this generally recognized, you know, gesture of white supremacy? Just like well, there's other gestures that you know have a generally recognized meaning. Brian on the east side. Brian you're on WTMJ. Yes. Uh, if you watch the movie Mississippi Burning back in the eighties, uh, Gene Hackman recognized in a photo. The, the guys for the KKK held their hand down like that with the three fingers down. So that was the sign that he goes, oh, that's KKK. So that, I've known that for years. I, I don't know if other people have, but okay. I know it's been around for a long time. Okay, so if you would have... I, okay, if you would have been watching the Cubs game the other night and you saw this guy doing that behind the the reporter, you would would you have immediately said, oh, that this guy's making this white supremacist gesture? Yeah, I'd have to see the guy in the context because I did not see it. Yeah, but if I if I I mean I'm aware of it for sure. Okay, and if he's doing it, I mean you know it appears as though you know he had some sort of intention. Yeah, most likely. Yeah. Okay. Oh, good. No, no, thanks for calling. And again, I mean a number of people saw this, and that's what their reaction was. And the Cubs responded. The Cubs said, "Okay, we're we're going to investigate this, and we're going to try to figure." Apparently, they found out who the guy was. I don't know if he was a season ticket holder or whatever. And again, I don't know. Was he just doing this to be goofy? Because, like I say, his first his first hand gesture was the the V for victory sign. But I don't remember which way he he had his you know he had the back of his hand, whether it was the palms out or the back of his hand. But I mean, people immediately reacted to it. And I guess I I, I just maybe I do need to get out more. Um, Mark in Wauwatosa. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi. Hi, Mark. I, I'm. Uh... Sorry with the previous caller. I've known this for a number of years. Uh, respectfully, I think maybe you do need to. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, that's no, that's I, no. I I don't take that personally at all. It's just like yeah. I was going. That's really what that means, huh? <laughs> yeah, you know, when, when people get out in public, they got a camera on them. They do all kinds of dumb things, and and I honestly believe that that that's what that was, uh, and no other reason for it. And I think. Oh, you think it was? You think it was just? You, I mean, I'm sorry. Do you think it, it was? He was making a white supremacist thing, or he was just kind of. Being a jerk, or just you know. Well, I think you know you look into the guy and you kind of see what the, the situation is, and you make the determination from there. I would imagine the Cubs probably talked to him, but you know, I would guess that that was what it was. I think you do need to talk to the guy, and I'm not saying that's what he did, but that would be my first impression. And right. I think there sort of does need to be a zero tolerance kind of thing for that. For you know, a zero zero tolerance. Kind oh, of 
Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I, I will tell you if he would. I mean, and I I would feel no. I mean, thanks to God. And I, I mean, and again, I'm I'm not faulting the Cubs tossing the guy out at, at all. I mean, I would say the same thing if you had, let's say, he's a season ticket holder, and let's say he's making, you know, the the, the one figure obscene gesture. I mean, I I would think that that would be inappropriate too. And if they tossed him out for that, I'd I'd be fine with that. Uh, Jeff, I would have had no idea what that sign was. I'm in my sixties. Maybe that's why. Um, perhaps you know, people who are younger know ex- exactly what that is. Jeff, when I was in school, we would make that hand gesture below your waist. If your buddy looked at it, you would then slug him in the arm. That's what. Uh, that's what Eric Bilstadt was saying. Jeff, um, if you play basketball, sometimes they hold that symbol up in the air and it means it's a three-pointer. Well, again, that's the, you know, you're, you're holding it, you're, you're extending it, you're holding it up in the air. This is making the gesture and holding it down. All right, well, uh, Jeff, you don't need to get out more. It's a form of online showing that the alt-right uses as part of their stupid games. It helps racists identify each other, and it also infuriates the liberals, whatever that means. I guess it's a joke to them when it comes to online trolling. Well, okay, I guess if, if that's really, if that's the case, I can end up being you know, <laughs> blissfully ignorant. Jeff, I'm 62 years old. I must be living under a rock because I had no idea what that um, meant. Um, I don't know. Then Joel says, how do you know the first sign was not a peace sign? We can't even agree on that. So he gets punished and we don't know what really went on. I'm just, I am just saying, you know, that gesture apparently, you know, has a particular meaning. So even if you don't mean it, in the way that you're condoning white supremacy, my advice is don't do it in public. Certainly, well, just don't do it in public. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. You know, it's interesting in today's day and age, the the, the, the guy about you know consequences for actions either intentional or otherwise guy gets uh, banned from Wrigley Field for life for making that particular gesture we don't know what his intent was but you know he, he did it story about a, a Baltimore TV anchor and she'd been she'd been with this particular Baltimore television station where she'd uh, for 15 years she'd been working in TV news in Baltimore for 22 years so this is somebody who'd been you know been a part of the community and, and Baltimore's got all sorts of issues I mean there, there's no question about it the latest latest mayor just resigned in among controversy that she was you know pocketing money from a children's book that was being sold to the to government offices and things like that you know Baltimore has this spiraling crime rate and all these different things the last three mayors of Baltimore Baltimore have been African-American women. And again, Baltimore is kind of a disaster. So anyhow, there's this, she's on TV, and this woman who's been a reporter and an anchor for you know a couple decades, essentially, she's interviewing somebody from a, a college professor, and they're talking about the state of the city. And this is what the, the reporter says. She says, quote, we've had three female African-American mayors in a row. They were all passionate public services, servants. They were all passionate public servants. Two resigned, though. Is this a signal that a different kind of leadership is needed to move Baltimore City forward? So that's what she says. And that, that question, which I guess sounds simple on its face, met with complete and total outrage because she, I, I think, 
if she would have just said, hey, the last three mayors have all been passionate public services, two servants, two have resigned, you know, what what kind of leadership do we need? She might have been fine. But because she said they're female and they're African-American, you had this huge explosion. You know, what what does their gender have to do with the fact that, you know, it, it didn't work out? What does their race have to do with the fact that it didn't work out? And interestingly enough, for asking the question, we've had three female African-American mayors in a row. They were all passionate public services servants to resign, though. Is this a signal that a different kind of leadership is needed to move Baltimore City forward? The woman was fired from her job. After 15 years at one TV station, 22 years in the market, fired for asking a question that people thought was insensitive. Now, I, I don't know. Should she have been? Was it a dumb question? Was it a poorly worded question? You know, absolutely. What point was she trying to get at? I'm not sure. But again, she's on live television, and I, I, I think you know sometimes when you're on live television or live radio or whatever, I think sometimes you you don't necessarily think through completely the implications of your question. This woman was fired for simply, this reporter was fired for simply like raising both the gender and the race question in the context of the last couple mayors, you know, have been passionate public servants, but candidly, you know, no, nobody's worked out. Do we need to perhaps look in a different direction? But by fashioning it in this way, it cost her her job. So I guess that is a word to the wise. Be careful what you say, because, again, there, there's people out there that are listening. And in the case of this particular TV anchor in Baltimore, they were legitimately offended by what I think was a stupid question. Should it have been enough to cost the woman her job after 22 years? Well, that might be a different story. But the TV station didn't want to stand behind her. They just said, you're done, period, gone. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. The next story, and it, we've talked about variations of this before. It comes to us from Warwick, um, from Warwick, uh, Rhode Island, which is kind of outside of Providence. I guess everything in Rhode Island is sort of outside of Providence. But it's one of these stories involving a school district. The school district, like many school districts in our area, has one of these deals where the kids have money in their accounts for, for lunches. So if you don't send your, if, if you want to make a bag lunch for your kid, that's great. But if you don't, you know, they have like these hot lunch lines and stuff and the kids go through the lines and they order different things and they get their lunch and the school district notifies the parents when the kids' accounts are are in arrears and the parents are supposed to put more money in, right? And that, that's how th- this operates. Well, a lot of parents in this particular school district, and by the way, we are not, again, we're not talking about the kids who qualify for the free lunches or anything like that. We're talking about the kids for whom the parents um, have the financial ability to do this, to pay for for the lunches but have, for whatever reasons, not put the money in the kids' accounts. All right. Now, if you think this isn't a problem, in this particular community, the school district is running a $4 million deficit. And as a result of that, they've had to cut back on janitors. They're eliminating programs, etc. They are right now, apparently they say the district is owed, depending on who you talk to, 
at least 40000 and maybe as high as $77,000 in parents who are delinquent on, on lunch money. So we're not talking about five or ten bucks. We're, we're talking about best case scenario, 40000 but maybe really as much as close to $80,000. So there, there's a lot of parents who are, pardon the phrase, but either intentionally or not, they're, they're deadbeats. And what the school has done is the school has continued to allow parents to essentially get in the hole. They've continually allowed the kids to continue to get these hot lunches, even though there's not money in the accounts. They've requested the parents pay, and some parents pay, but some people don't. So what they've done is they've gone to a policy where, um, starting last Monday, any student with an unpaid lunch debt, so you know you're you're in arrears, you you can't get a hot lunch. You are automatically given a sunflower seed butter and jelly sandwich. Now I had never heard. Gru, have you ever heard of a sunflower seed sunflower seed butter? It's got to be something like almond butter or something like that. Well, yeah, I get it's. I'd never heard of this, but yeah, it's a it's apparently like peanut butter, except it's it's a. They, they do it because if you have peanut allergies, for example, it, it's I, I, I don't know whether it tastes like peanut butter or not, but they call it sunflower seed butter and they put it on with grape jelly or strawberry jelly or whatever. So the deal is that because the district is owed tens of thousands of dollars of lunch money, you know, they say, look, we, we got to do something. We can't continue digging this hole. Uh, we're really not in the collection business. You know, we, we've notified parents. We've asked parents. They're not putting money in the accounts. And so here's the deal. You know, if you show up and you haven't brought your own lunch and you want a lunch, you know, you don't, you don't get the hot lunch. You get a sunflower seed butter and jelly sandwich, essentially a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. All right. So they've implemented this. Well, this has now become extremely controversial. One of the parents says, well, I, th- this is terrible. This is, this is lunch shaming. Students should not be penalized or potentially subjected to public humiliation because their parents haven't paid. You know, we should just continue to give them the, the lunches. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I recognize that this is one that maybe you, you will disagree with me on. But to me, this is the responsibility of of the parents. And if you want your kid to have a lunch, you have two choices. One is you make the lunch for the kid and you send that kid off to school with the lunch. Or number two is you put money in the kid's account but the the school i mean i guess i look at it like this if your child decided that they wanted to walk into the local you know burger doodle you know after school and order a couple cheeseburgers and order some fries or whatever and then before they gave it to him the kid said oh by the way i, I have no money well the okay the the local burger doodle isn't going to give the kids the, the food you're, you're not going to be able to get it and given the fact that again they're running a deficit of somewhere between forty and eighty thousand dollars, that tells me that there's a lot of parents who have simply made the decision that you know we're we're either going to be too lazy or whatever, or we know there's no consequences, so we're not going to send in this money. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I do not fault the school district for saying if you don't have the money in the account. We're going to give you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or a sunflower seed and butter and jelly sandwich. But, you know, and, until 
you get the money caught up. Is that an unreasonable position to take? 414-799-1620. And I will tell you, my bet is that the day they implement that, you are suddenly going to have a lot of these lunch arrears disappear. Because once the parents recognize that there's going to be some sort of consequence for this, my guess is they'll take the time to, you know, get the school the money that they should have provided the kid in the first place. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is the school wrong for doing this? My answer would be no. There, there's really... I mean, I won't say there's no free lunch because in some cases there are free lunches. But if it's your child, you have the ability to pay. All right. You don't want your kid to be given a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Well, all right. Isn't it your your responsibility as the parent to make sure that, OK, you've taken care of that? 414-799-1620. Gru is lining up the calls right now. We're back to discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We're back. Let's start with Andrea in Germantown. Andrea, good afternoon. Good afternoon. What do you think? Okay, so is this lunch shaming? You don't have money in your account, so they're giving the kid essentially a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I don't think so. I The parents are given notice by at our school via text, email. Um, I am a lunch lady. I tell the, We tell the kids every day, if you're getting low, you're below $10, you're below $5, um, and there are some chronic kids that do it all the time, mm-hmm. I, and I work at a high school, so they're older. But, um, I mean, and there's so many options, too, for parents if they either can't afford the lunch right. or there's reduced price. Yeah, and I don't I mean, get the sense that th- that's the idea there. It's not that they can't afford it, um, but it, yeah. it's just simply that they're too busy, they're too bothered, it's not a priority or, or whatever. And I understand the kids suffer, but, I mean, the school district, they're forty to $80,000 in arrears on delinquent lunches. At some point in time, you got to say enough is enough, don't you? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, there are kids that are, I don't know how they get this low, and, I mean, minus $20, and if you do that times the 600 to 800 yeah. kids you serve a day, right? that adds up every day. So I completely agree well, you know, and the other thing is, it's not like, you know, some school districts, they, they say the kids go without. In this particular case, they're giving the kid a peanut butter jelly sandwich. I don't know about you, Andrea, but there's lots of times, I used to take my lunch to school most of the times, there's lots of times my mom made me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yeah. I mean, that, that that's just what I got. Yes. Yeah, yeah, we unfortunately offer a cheese sandwich, which, which isn't very appealing, yeah. but um, a cheese sandwich, some carrots, and a milk. I mean, right. But see, my we don't want them to go hungry. Right. But you know, again, my guess is once you start doing that, it ends up being a wake up call to the parents because then the kids go home and say, "Hey, I, I got a I cheese have- sandwich today," and the next day that money is in the account. Yes, yes, and they have siblings maybe at other school at the other schools in the district, and when then when they get cheese sandwiches too, right? Then that's when we start getting parents calling <laughs> complaining well, that we gave them right. Right. Sandwiches, so. No, no. Th- thanks for calling. I mean, I, I think. See, and that that's only a reasonable thing. Again, I, I go back to the basic premise that, you know, if 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 you're going to walk into a convenience store 
and you know you're going to put down a, a thing of soda or a thing of milk or whatever they're going to ask you to pay for it and if you say you can't pay for it they're not going to let you walk out with it that's just kind of the basic nature now do, do i think that it's fair to have a little bit of wiggle room and i i don't know i, I mean all right so do i think that you should do i think that you should give the parents a little bit of wiggle room and say okay you know we'll we'll carry you for five dollars or ten dollars okay I don't, I don't have a problem with that but obviously, if they're behind forty to eighty thousand dollars, that tells me that there's a lot of parents who it's not just a couple bucks here or there. It's the fact that they've just decided that you know they they're too busy or whatever to give their kids money, and they're counting on the school district to continue paying for it. Let's talk to Jeff in Brookfield. Hi, Jeff. You're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. What do you think? Well, I mean, these guys have got to be dragging this out forever to raise this money for. Yeah. To those these kind of heights and and i think there's just a sense of entitlement with these parents that has got to be over the moon um i <laughs> i don't get that and the kids the kids must be embarrassed don't you think well yeah i mean well the idea well that see but that's the thing it's the whole argument well it's lunch shaming you know just because now well, if they see you eating shaming. the peanut butter and jelly sandwich you know the kids will know that you didn't have money in your account well whose fault is that it's it's the parents fault for not putting the money in the account well, of course it is, and 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 why? Why aren't they? If if they don't, you know, they're I, the, the previous lady who worked in the school said, you know, there's alternatives for them if they don't have the money. But this is beyond not having the money. Right. Jeff. If you're talking forty to eighty thousand dollars, right, right, that's yeah. beyond not. That's being. That's beyond. Well, no, it, it's taking. It, it's no thanks to call. It's gaming the system, Jeff. It, that, that's that's exactly what it is. And again, it, my point is, my guess is, as soon as they implement this, will they collect all the money? No, but I'll bet you at least fifty percent of those arrears are caught up because they're just not carrying the people. It's why. I don't know. It's why at a certain point in time, if you don't pay your cell phone bill or your cable bill or whatever, they're, they're going to cut you off i mean now they'll, they'll carry you for a little while but at a certain point boom that that's it, it's going to be gone let's talk to jim in waukesha hi jim you're on wtmj hey thanks for taking my call yeah thank um, you for calling you know i um my i think you know some of my comments sort of changed hearing these other folks that work in a lunchroom mm-hmm. you know, it sounds like some of it is on the kids because they're given you know hey you're running low and then you know the, the second part is i think that people that are whining about it should be ashamed because, let's face it, I mean, I, nobody's perfect. We've all forgotten bills and paid a, a late charge or whatever, and, and it happens. You know, so just kind of just suck it up and pay the bill so that your kids aren't, you know, your kids are eating what they would like. Yeah. And the last comment is I hope that they're charging them for the, for the sunflower butter <laughs> and jelly sandwich or the cheese sandwich as well. No, I think that, that, no, thanks for calling. I think that's a, I think that's a freebie. I, I don't think they, they charge them for that. But I, again, I, I, from from some perspective of these the school districts, they're in kind of a no win situation. In this particular district, they're saying, "Hey, look, we got a four we've got a four million dollar deficit. It's not like we're rolling in dough. We're getting rid of custodial workers. We're cutting programs." And the truth of the matter is, we can't eat. 
no pun intended, uh, you know, $40,000 or $80,000 in unpaid lunch accounts. You know, we're providing the lunch accounts, but we expect people to pay, especially given the fact that these aren't kids who qualify for, like, the free lunch program and stuff. So the bottom line is, in this particular case, if you don't want your child to be lunch shamed, quote, unquote, well, it's real easy. Put the money in the kid's account, and then they won't have a problem, or, or... Send the kid to school with a lunch. Oh, heaven forbid. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Welcome back. So very glad to have you with us. I uh, grew up in Glendale. I think our promos for the show say that. And I can remember as a kid, we lived about... I would say maybe a little over a mile away from Bayshore Shopping Center. When I first moved here when I was 9 or 10 years old, Bayshore Shopping Center was an, was an L-shaped strip mall. Uh, not, not interior at all, just an L-shaped strip mall. Uh, then what happened is they enclosed it. Then they expanded the mall. That's when malls were big. And then about 13 years ago, they came up with the idea of, here, let's – Let's figure out what the next iteration of Bayshore and Glendale is going to be, and let's go with Bayshore Town Center. So what they did is they found there was a developer who came in and with um, a, a lot of assistance from the city, more than $50 million, they, they came up with this idea of the town center, which is you, you took the existing enclosed mall, and then what you did is you also put a number of outdoor stores that were around this, and then you've got apartments that are there as well and some office building space. And um, Bayshore Mall, uh, the Bayshore Town Center, was I, I think I was a little bit skeptical, I admit, at the time, because initially I thought, okay, well, who's going to be shopping at some of these stores in the middle of winter, et cetera? But at least initially, uh, it was a huge, huge success, at least for the first few years. Unfortunately, a number of things have, have caught up with it, and Bayshore Sound Center is struggling. They've lost a number of their big anchors. There used to be Boston Store. Boston Store is gone. Sears used to be an anchor. Sears is gone. Sports Authority used to be, you know, one of the, the huge occupiers of the mall. That's gone. You've had a number of restaurants that have come and, and gone. In, in essence, it's it's been struggling. Lots of malls and lots of retail operations are struggling as well. So the new plan is this. It's, all right, let's kind of go back to square one. The idea is, and keep in mind, right now, Bayshore has uh, there's a tax financing debt of around $57 million. If they do nothing, they're going to lose a good chunk of that because the property, the value of the property as it exists now, isn't going to be enough to support that. So the proposal that's on the books is, let's reimagine the Bayshore Town Center. And the idea is, let's tear down the mall. Get rid of at least the vast majority of the existing mall. And then what let's do is let's try to concentrate not so much on retail, but maybe let's try to make it more of an entertainment center. Let's concentrate on more of that type of stuff. You know, we're going to still have brick-and-mortar stores that are there, but we want to have it more entertainment-based, and we want some condos, and we want an office building that's attached to that. But let's get away from the traditional mall. As a matter of fact, let's do away with the mall. Now, to make this work, 
they need to find a developer um, you know, who, who's going to work with them. And the proposal is they think they've got this developer who's willing to come in and and pay off the $57 million, that that, that debt. In exchange, the developer, the idea is they're going to take another $37 million in public funds and put it towards, again, this newest iteration of, you know, Bayshore Town Center in an effort to try to, again, figure out is this is this what the modern shopping center slash retail area slash town square of the future is going to look like? All right, our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, even though I don't live in that immediate area anymore, I, I'm very – this is an area that's very near and dear to my heart. Like I say, I grew up in Glendale, and I lived for 30 years in, in Whitefish Bay within a couple miles of it. I've seen the different ways that the shopping center and the mall has progressed. I've seen some of the stuff that worked. I've seen some, I've seen some of the stuff that, that didn't work. Clearly, what they are doing now isn't working. I mean, there's more and more stores that are, are leaving. We were over. I met a friend of mine for a beer in in the. We went to Bar Louis, which is in the mall there, and it was almost scary how empty that that mall was. We we were there a couple of weeks ago, and I'm thinking, man. I mean, there used to be movie theaters and bowling alleys. There used to be all this activity, but now Boston Store is gone. Sears is gone. I mean, it really. It's it clearly looks like a failing sort of property right now. So they've got these ideas that this is the next iteration. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it is the latest plan? Is that something that is going to work? And is it something that the city should pursue? Does the city really have any choice to not pursue it? Given that uh, again, if they just don't come up and don't put in public money, the thing is probably going to go under. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, can, can Bayshore Town Center be, I don't know if it's fair to say saved, but clearly it's got some issues. Matter of fact, I um, you've got those apartments there. They're nice apartments. Those, those apartment buildings are, are nice. They get a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of people living there, and I know some people who do, who, you know, love living in that area. The question is, all right, can, can you save it? I mean, uh, you've seen the new development that's down in Oak Creek. That appears to be thriving. Can you create something like that on the North Shore? 414-799-1620. Alan in Milwaukee. Alan, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, good afternoon. What do you think? Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of thinking, like, the whole idea of using that much public money, I'm just not sure unless they've had some kind of surveys or some kind of analysis to determine if this is really going to be a viable and a good option. It reminds me of what my dad told me when he was teaching me how to play blackjack and poker when I was much, much younger. Don't chase, don't chase, don't build good money after bad. So in yeah. other words, when you've got something that's not working, don't keep dumping money into it when it's a lost cause. So, I, I guess the question, though, I guess the question, though, Alan, is does the city of Glendale have an alternative. I mean, do they have an option? Because you're, I mean, you're talking about one of the the, the print. I mean, I, I think that that's probably certainly the biggest shopping area in Glendale. You've got this huge investment of space. Is is it too big to fail? Don't do you have to do something to try to hope you can turn it around? 
How many how many other ideas were explored, or is that the only one that's on the table right now? Well, I think that I mean I think they've been exploring a number of ideas. This is the one that the developer that they that wants to you know take over the property. This is what he wants to do. Now, thanks for calling. I mean, look, I, I I guess here's I mean here's the situation. I I think the traditional mall, the the Northridge, and I mean and I you know the Northridge, the Brookfield squares, the traditional malls, the the Mayfair. I think those are all, to one degree or another, going to struggle for a bit. Don't, and don't, I'm not saying Mayfair's in trouble or Brookfield Square's in trouble or anything like that. But, you know, would, would you be, if you were an investor, would you be putting a ton of money into one of the old-style malls? And my answer is probably no. If you look at the, the wave of shopping Right now, you know what? What are the what are the shopping areas that are surviving and, and actually not surviving but thriving? I mean, look at the number. It, we've almost seen a return to strip malls, for example. It's it's less dependent on retail. Just drive around these communities, and you'll look and you'll see these little strip shopping centers that are there. And 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 what do they have? They've got maybe a couple fast food restaurants, and they've got a dry cleaners, and they've got an exercise facility, and, and maybe there's a couple retail stores that are there. That's I, I think the, the future of shopping. And to me, it does, if you're going to try to save Bayshore, it, it does make sense to say, look, just simply trying to recreate a retail shopping environment it isn't going to work because you, you need something more than that, whether it's the entertainment district, whether it's the movie theaters. And again, they had the one at the, they had that in the bowling alley and that didn't work. But I, I don't know exactly what went into why that failed. But, you know, more of the let's make it a true kind of town center, less dependent on retail. And, and maybe that's going to be the key to success. I, I do think, you know, there's. I, I do think you have to do something, and I know the folks in Glendale have been working very hard at trying to come up with alternatives. You need to be good stewards of public dough. There, there's no question about it. And there are some things at the Bayshore Town Center that are, are doing really well. Go into that Apple store that they have there. It's packed. You know, they've got a Trader Joe's. You know, that that's packed. There's a variety of other, of other stores that do extremely well. But in general, a lot of those stores, especially the ones in the older portion of the mall, have the same problem that a lot of retail stores and malls have and just pretending there's not a problem doesn't doesn't make that problem go away i think they have to do something and candidly i think they probably have to do something dramatic and these ideas that are being floated i guess i think they're worth a risk there is a risk that's associated with this though but doing nothing guarantees failure and i don't know that that's an acceptable situation this is jeff wagner you're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Uh, two days ago, the New York Times broke this story that President Trump avoided paying taxes for eight years after more than a billion dollar loss over a decade. What they did is they, they didn't get they weren't able to get the president's tax returns and this goes back this is between 1985 and 1994 they weren't able to get his tax returns but apparently they were able to get his tax return information which is just the 
it, it's the bottom line numbers uh, for, for different lines. So that they were able to get this for a certain period of time. Together with other stuff, they started to recreate them. Now, the, the Trump administration disputes the accuracy of this. And if somebody actually leaked the New York Times, the confidential tax return information, that person would be committing crime, not the New York Times. But it, it, so it's questionable as to how they got this and whether they got it, whether the person that gave it to them obtained this legally or not. But the, at the end of the day, um, what happened is back in the 80s and the 90s, you know, Donald Trump amassed a huge amount of debt in many cases from sort of failed building projects, you know, failed developments and things like that. And he amassed a huge amount of losses, which then he used those losses that he took to offset, you know, income that he had for other things. But the bottom line is, at least back in this period of time, between 85 and 1994, um, New York Times says that he, he didn't pay taxes for eight years because he had lost all this this money. Now, this raises, I guess, two issues. First of all, you know, President Trump has always styled himself as this incredibly successful businessman. And if, in fact, he did lose all this money in real estate such that he didn't end up having to pay taxes because he had all these losses that carried through, does that reflect on the fact that maybe he wasn't such a good business person after all? And secondly, it raises, I guess, the question of, gee, if if you've lost all that money, is is it really legitimate that you have somebody who's lived the lifestyle that the president claims to have had? Is it legitimate that he didn't pay any sort of taxes? All right. And again, the period of time The New York Times has been talking about is 85 to 94. We, we don't know about the last decade or two. Our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have a very simple and straightforward question. I want to kind of focus it. I mean, should we care about the president's finances back in the 80s and the early 90s or the mid-90s? You know, when he, he wasn't running for president, when he wasn't the president. You know, this stuff is from years and years and years ago. Does it matter a- at all? And my assumption is that there's nothing criminal going on here. I mean, if there was, if people thought he was committing a crime of tax fraud, the IRS could have charged him decades ago. What I think you have here is you have a guy who ended up getting involved in a bunch of real estate development projects, lost his shirt on several of them, you know, borrowed money to keep going, perhaps, um, you know, had a public persona that didn't necessarily reflect what the real financial background was, you know, was living on borrowed money and stuff like that. But do we care that he had a billion dollar loss and that he avoided tax paying taxes for eight years? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I guess my answer is, is so what? I, I mean, you know, so so what? Is Is his business image this image that he created is it more puffery perhaps than real okay maybe i'll accept that but you know do we really care what his financial picture looked like in 1990 414-799-1620 if you're on the line please hold on we discuss in just a moment this is jeff wagner back to take your calls here's wtmj's jeff wagner yeah, my my quick take on this story that was in the New York Times about in the 80s and 90s, Trump had these huge losses and didn't pay taxes was, yeah, it, it's I think it's probably all, all true. I'm not sure that it should be a surprise to anybody. He was trying to portray himself as this high-flying real estate developer, and 
um, a lot of his projects weren't working out very well. That, does that mean anything in 2019? Selena in Burlington, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi. I just, um, I just wanted to say, um, uh, I saw about two months ago on A and E, they had a three-part series called The Trump Dynasty, right. and it told all about that. It told all about how he lost his money and everything, and you know how when how he got started to back again. So I don't think it's such a big surprise for them to bring that up now. And the other thing is, if nobody ever saw that, it was such an interesting show because. It told how his grandfather came, um, mm-hmm. I guess, Germany, and his father, and how they got started. It was so amazing. It was yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, and, and look, and I mean, there's no question that I, I've always... I mean, Donald Trump, you know, styled himself, and this is before he became president, he styled himself as this high-flying real estate developer. And, and candidly, there was a lot of, I'm going to say, puffing behind the image, you know, and he, he went into a lot of these deals, and a lot of them didn't work out. And the image that he tried to portray publicly probably wasn't necessarily corresponding to what was going on behind the scenes. But, you know, a lot of people, you know, a, a lot of business people are, are like that. And I guess my reaction is, well, if he's a tax cheat, he should have been prosecuted. But I don't think that's the case. He just, you know, he got involved in a lot of financial things that didn't go right. So, so what? A lot of people do that. Exactly. He was young, too. Um, yeah, no, right. Thanks for calling. And again, I, and I think... Look, I, I've never been a huge fan of President Trump, Donald Trump. I mean, I—that's I, I, no secret. If you're a regular listener to this program, you know that. But I—I I, I mean, I, I think his his business style. I. I wouldn't have wanted to have been in business with him at pretty much at any point in time. I'm, uh, I think if you, you look at the way the guy does business, it's he uses people and then casts them aside and things like that. But at the same time, I, do, am I surprised that he had massive losses in the real estate in the 80s and 90s? No, a lot of people ended up having massive losses. And am I surprised that he perhaps didn't have tax due and owing because of those massive losses? Uh, no. Let's see. I'm sorry. I wish I had some more time on this. Um, we will revisit this at some point in time. I've got something I got to do before the end of the program. My my big uptake though on this this story is, yeah, well, it's, it's probably true. I he had massive losses, but you know, so what? Lots of people ended up doing it. I also am a little bit concerned that I mean, if the New York Times is getting that this tax return information, they're not violating the law by publishing it, but somebody is violating the law by giving it to them. And I guess I admit that that bothers me. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. One final text on the Trump question. I, I read this because it comes from a guy named Fat Lou in West Dallas. And I'm and anybody named Fat Lou, okay, you're getting your text read. That's it. Uh, so, Gru, do you think he's really, like, fat or something? You're thinking, yeah, probably. That's uh, Fat Lou in West Dallas says, Jeff, as you would say, this makes my head explode. Who cares? It was almost 40 years ago. Good gosh, JFK's father, Joe, was a bootlegger. What Trump did was legal. He's never been indicted for tax fraud. And if he's a bad businessman, teach me how to be so bad so I can live in Trump Tower and golf over the world, a whole world, my whole life. Yeah, see, he does. He does have a, in addition to having a great name, Fat Lou has some insight. I guess that's how I look at it. All right. I, I've, I've 
been wanting to discuss this with you um, since I saw this story a day or so ago. The Washington Post has this what what they're trying to do is what I would call enterprise journalism. They're 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 trying to create sort of like boutique products that might attract people. And one of the things that they have brought back is something called the Lily, which the, the Lily was originally the first newspaper created by women. And so they they've kind of brought this back as a feature of the Washington Post. Here's what they they do. And they've got lots of different things. But one of the things they have is they have people who are writing columns say it's called the goodbye. And what they do is they find people, in this case it's women, but you know I'm not going to be, the, uh, I'm, I'm going to be more inclusive than that. But they say they find, in this case it's women, who are leaving particular communities and they are writing about the things in the community that they are going to miss. And there was a piece up just the other day, woman who's, uh, been in Milwaukee for years and years, and she's leaving Milwaukee because she's upset with things going on in Wisconsin, and she's going to be moving to Vancouver. That, that's neither here nor there. But she lists a couple of things that she is going to miss about Milwaukee. Now, we're not talking about, gee, I'm going to miss my neighbors because, you know, you know, Fred and Ethel are really nice. But, you know, things that are in, in this case, in Milwaukee that she's going to really miss saying goodbye to, you know, places that she would miss when she leaves. And in the category of you never know what you have till it's gone, I, I thought this would make a really interesting conversation. So here is what I would like to discuss with you. I, 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 I'm, I'm hoping you're not leaving southeastern Wisconsin, hoping you're not leaving Wisconsin, but think for a minute. If all of a sudden tomorrow... You know, you found out that, you know, your your spouse was being transferred to, you know, wherever, and you were going to go with them. Or you got this just dynamite job offer, and you were going to, you know, you, you, just, you just had to leave. If you found out tomorrow that you would be saying goodbye to this area, what is it that you would think that you would miss the most. And again, it's not, gee, I'd miss my, it's not that I'm going to miss my family. I mean, that's a given. I'm not, I'm going to miss my neighbors. But is there a place, is there something around here that if you suddenly found that you had to say goodbye to this area, what would you miss? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'll, I'll get this started because it was actually, it was one of the things that the, the lady who was writing this piece said, and it was one of the things that instantly came to mind. If I were to leave this area, one of the things that I would miss, I would miss Friday fish fries. I, I just, and my wife will tell you this, I love Friday fish fries. I love the fact that, you know, you can go into almost any restaurant around here, whether it's a, a corner bar, an American Legion post or whatever, and you can find yourself a fish fry. I don't think you can find that anywhere outside of Wisconsin. Now, I know you can go to restaurants on a Friday if you're in Naples, Florida, or if you're in New Orleans, Louisiana, and you can order a fish on a Friday night. But there, there's something about fish fries I think this is the only area that, that has them. And if I were to ever leave Wisconsin permanently, I would miss Friday fish fries. That's the type of thing. All right, we're going to have a fascinating conversation. I guarantee it. 414-799-1620. If suddenly you found out tomorrow you were leaving, what is it that would you would miss? And I guess if you're listening to me on that thing we call the Internet, 
and you have found yourself in a situation of leaving Wisconsin, you know, what is it that you miss the most? A place that you miss. 414-799-1620. Back to have the conversation in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eddie from Franklin says, if I had to leave, I would miss cops. I love their burgers and their custards, and there's no place that I've been able to, you know, find um, that matches that. Another one says, I would miss Culver's. So we got to suffer around food. Ron says, I would miss the Milwaukee Brewers games. Uh, another text, I would miss all the great restaurants in Bayview. Here's one. I like this person. I'd miss the Jeff Wagner show, but then I could listen to the radio show on the Internet. Yes, you could, but I understand. 414-799-1620. For, for me, the first thing I thought of is I would miss the fish fries. I, I admit I it, it's kind of a standing joke. My wife will say, okay, it's Friday. You want me to cook dinner? I said, no, no, I want to go out for a fish fry. So we go out for a fish fry every week. Uh, that's because I like the fish fries. 414-799-1620. Let's start with uh, Julie Ann in Wauwatosa. Hello. Hi, how are you today? I am well, thank you. Okay, if suddenly you had to leave tomorrow, what would you miss? I would miss wine tasting in Door County. Okay. There's wonderful wineries up there, and when the colors are... In October, it's absolutely the most beautiful place on earth. Um, it, it's just well, in the summer too is a lot of fun. I I love Door it County. Is. I love it. No, and the you're right, the wine county, and you know they've got a brewery up there too. Last time I was there, they we do. we stopped off at the brewery for a tasting as well. And the hard cider. There's a hard cider. Place <laughs> there, wonderful. All right, thanks. We sir. know them all. We go every year. There, well, there you go. Okay, thanks for the call. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Dan in Brookfield. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. The thing I would miss the most is in southeast Wisconsin, Wisconsin in general. You just don't have to go very far to find a bar. <laughs> no, it, right, right. You've got, you've got, the, you, you know, all these different towns that you go into, and there's on three of the corners there's a tavern, and on the fourth corner there's a church. You know, it's it's, it's exactly classic Wisconsin. Right. <laughs> exactly right, and you do not get that. I've been to many states, and you do not find that anywhere. You might have to go all the way downtown into a city or something like that, but out in the suburbs or anywhere, it's just, Around here, you don't have to go very far no. to find that. Well, no, but it, it all, it, right? No I, no, I get it. And thanks for calling. I know what you it, what you mean. It, it's not all just like the drinking culture, but it's kind of like that's the community. It, it's where people end up going. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. If you were to leave tomorrow, what do you think you would miss? A place that you would miss? A thing that you would miss? Kimberly in Milwaukee. Kimberly, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi, Kimberly. Hi. I grew up in Illinois until I was 16 as a Cubs fan, but I live in Milwaukee now, and I love Miller Park, and I've come to love the Brewers. <laughs> Bless so your heart. I would, I would miss Miller Park, but also Lake Michigan. Yeah. Yeah, I... Um, I, I agree with both of those. You know, I, I'm a huge baseball fan, and I can't – I love going to the games. We have – my my best friend and I, you know, we got a 20-game season ticket package. I love going to the – you know, I love going to the ball games, and I would – I would – could could I see living somewhere else in the winter? Yeah, but I tell you, I I would I would really miss not being able to go and catch you know catch games on a Wednesday night and stuff like that. I would miss it a lot. It's a top notch ballpark. I love taking my grandchildren there. We went two nights ago. My five year old grandson. We had a blast. Yeah. I was at the eighteen inning game. <laughs> Did you stay? Exhausted, so 
Sunday. Did you, you did you stay for all eighteen innings? We did, and I'm sixty years old. <laughs> but that okay. Well, you know, you I, I got to tell you, thanks for calling. You 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 win an award there, Kimberly. I I um I was I had the game on TV. We'd gone out Saturday night, came back. I was watching, and I saw him tie the game up at uh, you know with a home run in the top of the ninth inning. And then I kind of fell asleep on the couch and woke up for the last couple four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Gene in Milwaukee. Gene, if you left, what would you miss? I'd miss Lake Michigan. Okay. From, the, uh, from Grant Park and 12 Bridges on the south side all the way up to Schlitz Audubon Center and the walk along there. The downtown lakefront is phenomenal. Yep. And, uh, the, and also our orientation to the lake. Everything is, you know, yep. east, everything is west of the lake. I'd, I'd really miss that. Yeah. My you... son moved to Minneapolis, and he said that was one thing he just could not get used to was there was no orientation to that great waterfront. Right. And it's so... It's so accessible, you know. For for yeah. years, you know, it, it's for years and years and years. When I worked downtown, that that was the route. I mean, I, I it, was, it was was it a little quicker to take the freeway? Yeah, but I loved driving down Lake Drive and then Lincoln Memorial Drive. It was just such a great way to go to work and come home from work. It's beautiful. And uh, one year, our daughter took a class at UWM, a night class, and she was taking the bus and she couldn't get home at night, and so we offered to pick her up. And I just dreaded it, but I would drive downtown get off at Lake Drive and drive up to UWM, and it was so calming. I absolutely I loved that drive. It was so calming from winter all the way into the middle of May. It is just a great yeah. resource for us. No, it is. No, thank, thanks for calling. Now, you, you can go other places to be near water and stuff, but I know exactly what you mean. 414-799-1620. If you were to leave tomorrow, what would you miss? Let's talk to uh, Jaina in Oshkosh on WTMJ. Hi. Hi. I would miss camping up in the northern Highland uh, near Woodruff, Wisconsin. It's called Clear Lake. Been going there for 48 years. Okay. <laughs> okay. So you go there every summer, huh? Every summer, yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, th- again, that's that's the tradition, you know, and, and that's, that is one of the great things about, matter of fact, I have a, I have a texture saying that I I would miss I would miss midwestern niceness that's what the texture says that you know you it's just different on on the coasts um that you just it's different on the coasts and and that that's true there is there is this kind of midwestern niceness where you hold and I'm not saying that there aren't jerks we're you know and, and you know but the the bottom line is people hold the doors for other people and things like that 4147991620 all right what would you miss if you suddenly left danielle in delafield hi danielle hi jeff how are you i am well thank you if all of a sudden you had to leave this area what would you miss bloody marys <laughs> okay no, I do think I, they. I've been other places. Yes, I know they that you can get them, but just putting a lemon wedge in it and maybe a celery stalk is is not an actual bloody mary. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's right. Yeah, no chasers too. It's kind of like okay, that don't you know how you're supposed to serve a bloody mary? It's supposed to be spicy. It's got to have a bite, and you got to have that chaser with it. Exactly. You sound Danielle like a woman after my own heart. <laughs> <laughs> you have a good day. Sir. You as well. That is a good thing. Uh, Jeff, I, I am with you. Relatives who have moved, first request when they come back in Wisconsin, they want to go to the fish fry. Yeah, that's, and I guess it's it's something that we end up taking for granted. And it's, see, I can't get, I can't get out of my comfort zone with that because when we travel, doesn't matter where we are, if it's Friday, 
I'm I'm looking for I'm looking for a fish fry, <laughs> you know, and it's it's like it doesn't matter where we are. And oh, you know, there's all these fine dining places and stuff. I'm sorry, it's Friday. I want my fish fry. Let's talk to Deb in Menominee Falls. Deb, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks for taking the call. Thanks for calling. I have like two. Okay. It's a tie. Okay. One is the Dells. We go every year, sometimes twice a year. And the other one is the domes. Again, we go at least twice a year. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, the. what do you think should happen to the domes? You know, they're trying to. They should, they should stay the way they are. Okay. So you go, you're one of those. It's interesting because a lot of times I'll ask people, you know, when was the, who love the domes, when was the last time you were there? And they'll say years ago. But you go, you go twice a year, huh? Mm-hmm. It's uh, winter or summer or both. Well, we go for the train show. Okay. Every year, and we also go, depending on who's playing, you know, um, music under glass. Oh, okay, whatever, got it. Whatever's there. I I love. I mean, thanks for call. I I mean, I the, the winter. I mean, it's just you got this miserable winter outside. Then you walk in, and it's like a, a breath of of summer. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Jim in Hales Corners. Jim, good afternoon. Well, Jeff, I'm afraid my thunder has been stolen from mm-hmm. previous college, but uh, we just got back from a week in Arizona, and I'll tell you, uh, that made me really, really appreciate Lake Michigan. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, looking at Arizona and their lack of water and their dry water, riverbeds and all that just uh, makes me think how lucky we are to have Lake Michigan. Yeah. And it's not just... Uh, Milwaukee. I mean, go down to Racine. Go to Kenosha. Go up to Sheboygan. Go to Sheboygan. Yeah. Go to Port Washington. Yeah. Um, it's it's just a fantastic resource that I don't I don't think most of us appreciate enough. No, I think you're absolutely right. No, thanks. I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the lake is a, a huge attraction. It's one of the reasons why I, I love that current edition of the Milwaukee flag that they've now decided we're going to go back to the drawing board. But the the sunrise or the sunset over the lake, I thought it was a perfect thing. And of course. Uh, it would have been perfect, except the Common Council decided they wanted to mess with it. Let's talk to Scott in Oak Creek. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. How are you? Hi, Scott. Great. You get some great response. Well, it's a, it's a fun thing. I mean, I, sometimes, wow. like I say, you don't know what you've lost, you got till it's gone. And if, if you left tomorrow, what would you miss? See, well, I do, going along with the, the lake, all the lakefront festivals. Yeah. German Fest, Irish Fest. Uh, Fest Italiana. Yeah. Yeah. Getting up the Eagle River. I mean, all that stuff. Well, no, and I think you're. I mean, no, thanks for calling. I think you're. I, see, that's and we kind of take that stuff for granted. And of course, we're going to uh, two people want to say Summerfest. Want to add that in? But you know, the, the whole you could say the whole summer in, in Milwaukee. You know, for everybody who says there's nothing to do around here, well, you're not paying attention in the summer. As a matter of fact, the thing is, in the summer, we're like a twenty four seven city almost. It's just like so much stuff is going on. In any event, I. I Appreciate all the input and all the the calls. I'll, I'll post a Twitter thing on this, and I'll, I'll post a, a link. I thought it was just kind of interesting, and, and sometimes it, we, we get used to all this stuff and we take a lot of stuff for granted. I thought it's kind of an interesting exercise to just take a step back and say, okay, you know, what if what if I left tomorrow? What if you know it's just I, I'm out of there tomorrow? What do I think I would miss? And maybe it makes you appreciate the things you have even more. All right, when we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa and Greg have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.